Welcome back to the world-famous GDP Go Deep, the podcast, where we share our opinions like we have a clue. You can find us on most forms of social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Thanks again for your support, and remember, always go deep. Alright folks, welcome back to GDP Go Deep the Podcast. I'm John Nothing Doe. Just a friendly reminder, we have new stock, new inventory, new delicious stuff that's coming on the teespring.com store. It's going to be a shirt. You're going to like it. I like it. It's something new, something fresh. Don't forget to check us out at teespring.com. And with that being said, we're going to welcome the members of the show. So the first one I'm going to welcome to the show is none other than Motorsports Mofo. How are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm happy to be here as always. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for being here on this wonderful uh, early spring day. Let's do it. Let's rock this. Delicious. And as always, we need to also welcome Alan Smithy to the show. How are you, pal? Dude, I couldn't be better. I'm glad to be back. Glad to be rocking with you, John. And of course, my man, Mofo. I'm not outside like Mofo. I'm currently hiding in seclusion because, you know, they're always listening and they're always watching. Okay, what do you Every- mean? I, I'm, I'm wearing a tinfoil hat, so I know that I'm good. <laughs> I yeah, didn't but know you, you just wear that normally. That's not to protect you. That's just your stupid fashion sense. That is my Monday to Friday go-to, absolutely. I thought That's you had right. To, go- I thought you had to wear those helmets to keep yourself sane. You know, keep the shape of your head proper, bud. <laughs> he just he just wears he just wears those goofy helmets because he keeps hitting his head. He can't drive. Walks in the doors Who's and shit. Who side are you on right now? That's what I'd like to know. Clearly not yours. He's driving. He doesn't know how to drive. <laughs> okay, so you know what? You Jeep, you Jeep guys are always on your lid. Okay. Oh wow! Always, man. Always. We have-, have no roof. Remember that. Oh fuck! Here we go. Just letting the hair or the the hair plugs dance in the wind, right? It's, well, it, in Mofo's case, it's vagina hair, but that's <laughs> just his his own business. Oh wow! Yeah. The safe the safe zone is gone. The safe zone is absolutely gone. I didn't know we had and one. So is the safe word. There are no safe words for this episode. <laughs> the safe word is harder. Anyways, moving on. Yeah. So, you know, th- there's always this thought that, uh, like you guys are kind of bringing up, that someone's listening to us or, you know, um, what's happening on the other side of the world is, like, conspiracy, right? Like, they shouldn't be doing that. They should be doing it our way. So, today's obvious, or today not so obvious, but the obvious thing we want to talk about is conspiracy theories. And we got a couple of them. Since MoFo was a car guy, Alan Smithy first brought this to my attention, and I watched this uh, documentary. We wanted to talk... Uh, first about who killed the electric car. So it's a documentary on a GM car. I think it's a Saturn, is is it not? It was an offshoot of the Saturn. The, the design was based on the Saturn platform. It was meant to look like a Saturn, but it was a, a General Motors branded vehicle called the EV1. Okay. Now, I do believe we Elect- talked about this back in the our electric car uh, podcast many, many moons ago. I'd have to go back yes. and look for the number, but I do believe we talked about this one um, briefly. And yes, as, as Alan Smithy did note, very much uh, design lines or design cues drawn over from Saturn, very aerodynamic, streamlined, dialing cues, obviously not the most, uh, you know, I don't know how appealing it would be to today's market, but in its time, it was definitely futuristic and quite a concept. Yeah. It was a good yeah, concept. It looked kind of like the, the Honda Insight, too, a very early hybrid, the EV1. And the Honda, the Honda Insight looked very, very similar, you know? Mofo, can I ask you something? Why is it on everything except a Tesla, they cover the back wheels? Like, the, like you know, most wheels are, like, completely exposed. The back wheels are always covered in, like, 
you know, the Hondas, like, hybrid or electric car or Toyotas. The early. EV1 had the same thing. Yeah, and I can't yeah, figure they, out why. They had the same thing. I'm not an engineer, but the, what would go to, like, I know, like, the, the, some of the Cadillacs back in the day had it. I can't think of what they call it. Like, I've even seen it on some pickup trucks from, like, the 70s and 80s as, like, a California special option. Or in some, So in some cases for some vehicles that I can think of that I've seen, it's like an it's an optional dialing cue. Personally, not my thing. I personally think in some of the electric vehicle stuff, it goes back to aerodynamic. So yeah, wind drive, right? Yeah, like it becomes less space that the the air is going to become turbulent and get caught up within the the back wheel well. You're not seeing it on the front because obviously the front being your steering axis, your wheels yep. need to be able to turn left and right. So let me see if I understand this, there, Mofo. We, we have seen. Just a second, sir. I just wanted to add, like, we have seen it on some of the solar-powered cars that do, like, solar-powered car racing and uh, green energy sort of vehicles, like, where they're in the development stages, where we have seen the front wheels are also very much encapsulated, uh, much like, say, a land speed car. Uh, they, they encapsulate the front wheel as much as they can to, to help, again, as my understanding would be, is to reduce wind drag and thus improve the efficiency. So it's almost like the idea of like when we're talking on the phone like right now and I ask you to put one finger in your opposite ear so that whatever I'm telling you stays in your head. Is this what you're telling me? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first the first mic drop moment of the podcast goes to John Nothing Doe. Oh, that was cold. I Man, oh man, Mofo! I gotta tell you, it's, it's, it's all right. It's, I just want, I just want John. If I don't want you to forget about your Rogaine, uh, your Rogaine commercial that you got to mention and how you're liking their services. I only use the Rogaine on my I, pubic area. No, I just, no. I, I, I love you, Mofo, because you're such a good sport. Yes, absolutely. You know. So going well, back to this car and not hair plug. So the conspiracy with this is how quickly GM only would lease them. They wouldn't allow people to own them. And then yep. when they decided the program was over, because I think there was a lot of um, oil money involved, they basically absolutely they they basically were like, hey, we're coming to pick up the car, and everybody started hiding this car in the garage so that GM yep. couldn't take the car back. But they found a way to get them all off the road. Yeah, they've, they've apparently, allegedly, there's only a handful that have, been, uh, that, uh, have not been repossessed. Apparently, less than 10 had, that GM can't account for it. There were a bunch that have been sort of decommissioned that uh, GM has loaned out to universities and to schools. But yeah, that's really it. They, they, uh, most of the owners thought it was a little strange when they went to pick up the car that they signed a leasing agreement and not an, like an ownership. And when GM decided to get rid of them, they did it in such a, you know, conspiracies come from a place where that sort of a, a, a logical or rational explanation seems to be absent. And GM's decision to get rid of the EV1 came so somewhat suddenly and so, and their, their, their progress in destroying it so rapidly, yeah. uh, you know, leaves, leaves us, leaves human beings to wonder, you know, was there something more to it? And yeah, absolutely. There was a group called the Western Petroleum Association that really, really hammered GM on this car and did everything they could to stop its production and then really minimize its impact and minimize people's interest when it was actually on the road. And then when when G, when they won, when GM finally decided to capitulate, it was, you know, they rapidly went around repossessing them. Oftentimes when the owners had, you know, there was a, there was a, oftentimes the tow truck was there as the owner was getting home from work. 
Yeah. And the moment the, the owner stepped out of the car, it was hooked up. And a lot of celebrities, I remember seeing an interview of Tom Hanks on David Letterman where he was talking about how great of a car this was. Huh. And GM's decision to get rid of it, well, they, you know, they've never publicly commented other than saying, well, we weren't happy with its efficiency. The, their decision to destroy it, you know, leads one to believe that, you know, the oil industry uh, and, and the forces that be in the United States sort of industrial complex were really active in getting rid of the car. And to be honest, it took someone like Elon Musk to, who wasn't beholden. See, you look at General Motors, they're a public company. They have a board of directors. They were, you know, they have annual general meetings. And also they're under enormous pressure from politicians and people on the board who are tied into politics. When Elon Musk came along, he wasn't beholden to anybody. So when he created the Roadster and launched the Roadster in 2008, he didn't give a fuck about any pressure from politicians no. or the government and he created a really nice car that people in california fell in love with and you know i'm there are enough cons- we could spend a whole episode on conspiracy theories on elon musk alone yeah uh, but million. just a, you know just a, you know i'm not saying that you know i believe conspiracies that he's an alien i'm just saying <laughs> he just he i'm just saying He's got this weird look about him that, you know, I've seen pictures of him when he lived in the city of Toronto, when he was going to U of T very briefly in the late 80s. He looks the same now. He has that sort of Paul Rudd timeless look. I'm not saying he's an alien. I'm not saying he's from Mars, because if he was from Mars, of course, he'd be 20 feet tall. But that's that's another conspiracy. But I will say that, you know, it took someone like Elon Musk who readily give the finger to the industry and especially the oil industry, politicians, and the automotive industry, and he was doing it his own way, and they tried to crush him. There's no two ways that, that you know, uh, they tried to absolutely destroy Elon Musk financially a few years ago and reduce Tesla to nothing. And just the fact that people dig his cars, you know, is, is testament to, you know, the future of the electric car. So, you know, Chevy, you know, GM, after they got rid of the EV1, uh, and they literally crushed 99.9% of all of the EV1s. There's, they, they didn't leave anything for anybody to find or poke through, literally crushed and destroyed. Yeah. Um, they came out with the Chevy Volt. And now, Morphal, you can speak to this better than I because you're the resident car guy, but I don't think the Chevy Volt is anything to write home about. It, I, I've looked at the specs, I've seen them around, and I'm thinking, you know, they had all this lead time to develop an electric car. Would you not think that they would have taken, you know, everything that they learned about how good the EV1 was and just apply it to the Volt? And they went from something revolutionary to something so remarkably boring. So if I can chime in here quick. So the EV1, I did happen to see, it was like last week or the week before, I was on my Instagram at Motorsports Mopo. And I was there. Chime in. That's why I stopped talking. I stopped talking so you could chime in, motherfucker. That's how this shit works. I'm always here. I'm in the bush when no one's looking. I'm there. That sounds creepy. Let's just go with it. Yeah, yeah. uh, I I remember those scrolling through, and someone had posted a picture of one of these things, and I had to scroll back. I was like, wait a minute. And the thing was covered in like an inch of dust. It said that it was... it showed as if it was in like an underground parking garage, which I thought was strange. But this thing had like an inch of dust on it. It is the plates, like the little tag on the plate said, like it hadn't been registered in like the last 12 or 13 years. They, they are out there. Obviously, Ken, you have to understand in the, in the automotive.
those cars, and they'll show that they made like two or three of these, literally two or three, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, what have you, you know, if, if it, it's just a concept. And then it, it was never meant to make production, never meant it was just to showcase what the company could do or where they were going, so to speak. It, it's not uncommon that the, the, the manufacturers, and I, I don't mean just the big three, but I've seen global manufacturers do this, like with classic cars and such, where they, they had some ideas, they ran with it, they produced a few, or they produced, you know, maybe a couple hundred for the road, you know, um, but then that was it, and as quick as they were here, then they were gone again. So that that, that aspect there is, is not new to me. I find it more interesting the way, though, that they were worried about rounding them all back up afterwards. Um, yeah, that's such, <laughs> when you do shit like that, that that's what causes conspiracies. No, and I, 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 so do agree. I do agree there. Um, I know that uh, John and I have talked about before in one of the other casts about, I remember reading years ago about Holly, as in like Holly uh, carburetors. They had made, or there was patents from what I've read for, it was like a one barrel carburetor. And this carburetor was supposed to be so efficient with its design elements and that they would get something like a hundred miles to a gallon. That's quite a lot of miles for one gallon of fuel. I don't know that, I mean, that might've been a little more hearsay or a little bit more of like bent truth as it got passed along the lines. But um, I, the, the silver lining to it is they said that basically the patents were bought up by the oil companies, patents and all the, uh, the molds, everything like that, were destroyed, and uh, that was that. I think the, the thing is, is and much like you know, we've talked about in the performance aspect. If you're a manufacturer, first off, and this is whether a gasoline engine or an electric thing and uh, electric motor, but as a manufacturer, if you all of a sudden come out and you say, "Oh wow, like look, we've got a, a new 20 volt battery that is gonna, you know, go for whatever in your cordless drill," or we likewise we have a gasoline engine that gets uh, 27 miles to the gallon. You know, but then the following year, consumers are looking for you to meet that and then beat it. A lot, or yep. if not that year, then the following year after that, especially, like two years more of development, they're expecting more. So I think you have to also remember manufacturers for any product, they, they, they'll, they may have things in the pipeline, but they have to still hold back a little bit so that the following year they can at least roll out maybe something a little better. They might have already had it, but it, they've just the way they've deployed it out. You'll see that, like, such as the cars and, like, the performance up with, with horsepower when they're, they're saying, okay, we made 450 horsepower. And the following year, it's, oh, it now makes 465. Now, I'm sure engineers and, and people at the R&D obviously do find things that they can improve upon on their own. And then thus, yes, a year later, you see some of these advancements. But surprise me either that, say, in this case, GM said, well, we weren't completely happy with it. Perhaps there was a few things that we wanted to tweak on. That being said, I don't understand of, A, if you've developed and spent all this time developing an EV vehicle, why just to crush it and stop the program? And then why are you worried about going back and, and rounding all these things up, you know, let them get into accidents, let them be beat up or, or go to the junkyard and they'll just eventually wean themselves out, right, through just day-to-day -day usage and driving. But for GM to be going out and actively rounding them up, that's interesting, that, or they didn't want yeah. their products falling into the hands of other manufacturers. I know that electric vehicle push is certainly on the move, though, now more so than it's ever been, but I, I do maintain that I, I, I think they could, I think the big three especially could easily be farther 
advanced, much farther advanced so chose in the electric vehicle program than they are now. Well, I just think, like, mo- most manufacturers, as I said, like, would, and, unless they were concerned about their EV technology falling, I say falling, but other manufacturers buying up their EV ones and uh, using that technology to advance their own product line for their, like, in their manufacturing, but... Overall, I mean, the, the whole thing seems sketch because I just don't see why they'd be worried about rounding them up. I mean, let, let them spend, roll out their time on the road, get into accidents and all that, as I've said, and uh, they'll slowly end up in junkyards and they'll just become like a distant memory. But when they're rounded up and in such a structure like that, it definitely it, it says that, you know, something something is wrong there. Definitely, um, I couldn't agree more with that statement. So, so Mofo, my question to you again was, do you think there's still a conspiracy afoot by the by the petroleum companies? Because I know that with respect to the, the there's a conspiracy surrounding the manufacturer of EV cars and and not really conspiracy but disinformation campaign, where the the oil companies have put out a, a large disinformation campaign talking about how environmentally unfriendly it is to produce batteries. And while that is technically correct, that it is uh, it is environmentally nasty to produce batteries in the long haul the, the the actual carbon neutrality to the planet is offset because you're saving so much carbon by not producing oil and burning oil and shipping oil and that sort of thing so my question is do you believe that the the petroleum industry and like you were hinting at you know the big three have been so dragging their feet on on uh, ev production do you think there's there's a conspiracy to try to kill electric cars to this day, or do you think it's we've passed the tipping point and it's going to be uh, electric cars? We're going to be all electrified in 25 years. Well, I know they say like you know 2035 ish, like they you're seeing a lot of manufacturers want to be all EV. Right, for so Yeah, I, I I think it's coming one way or the other. I know there's a lot of memes online of you know people. You know, saying, oh, like, talking generations from now, back in my day, you know, the, you know, and they're, they're talking about, like, you know, the Hemi motor or GM's Infinite Rat motor or an LS. I, I think the EV program is coming. I think it's coming because it's getting a lot of push from the public. I think the manufacturers, if they were just left to their own and just let be, I mean, you know, they're, they're producing gasoline internal combustion engines and they work and... The thing about an internal combustion engine is you have so many moving components, right? You have even things that don't move. You have gaskets. You have things that just naturally are going to break down. And there's a lot of them. And that creates service for the manufacturers or the dealerships, I should say, really, right? And then likewise, as these internal combustion engines and, you know, working, working, assemblies on these on these current vehicles that we have the functionality eventually breaks down and or and the bodies rust or rot and all of a it gets to a point where yeah i need a new vehicle so it keeps you coming back so yeah. i can see where the oil companies would have a certain play in the mix i'm sure they're not thrilled because i mean yes there's the argument well there's still going to be there's still going to be heavy crude going like you know for airline fuels shipping the the trucking industry bus Anything commercial, uh, they use obviously a different type of diesel uh, than like petroleum gas. I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure the oil companies are not 
thrilled about it, but I do think if also we look into it, there's a lot of the oil companies that ironically are looking to green energy initiatives and looking to invest in green energy, seeing the sunset on the horizon. Hey, we're going to have to pivot here, otherwise we're going to turn into the dinosaurs. I could definitely see that there being, you know, some backroom meetings or things about, hey, basically drag this out a little longer or as much as you can until we've got... I, I definitely believe, Alan, that there is technology out there or stuff like this that could have easily been implemented 10 years ago if enough yeah. pressure was applied from the feds and people of, uh, of power, right? right. Um, okay, so my one last question for you, Mofo, before John uh, pivots us to another uh, conspiracy, is the, there, there's a, a, an older and wider conspiracy that the uh, at the dawn of the 20th century, at, with the invention of the automobile, that electric automobiles were the direction that manufacturers wanted to go, but there was a conspiracy by oil manufacturers and Henry Ford and the powers that be in the U.S. to create internal combustion in- engines rather than electric, and that the electric cars, the, the initial design, was abandoned up, up until, you know, the, the sort of the mainstream use by the EV-1 in the late uh, mid-90s. Do you believe there was a conspiracy to keep, or was it just the, the internal combustion engine just seemed to be an easier thing to to roll out as the world was discovering car culture? I, you know, I, I don't know. I think obviously it was a different time. I, I think all the manufacturers, because I mean, you look at, like, whether it was motorcycles or in the automotive industry, the, the early pioneers, per se, were just trying to get their, their engines just to run and run smoothly. And I say smoothly, like, I don't even think so much as efficiently, but just... You know, a lot of them, like, you know, you're talking the early days of the automobile, the R&D wasn't there, the science had not been invested, you know, in, in terms of, you look at the limitations of a, an engine that we can do now, and these castings, these, all the various functionalities of an engine. Yeah. I, I don't know that the conspiracy aspect of it would have been there. I could see more of it, though, like, I, if you were to say, how do I feel about the steam-powered cars? I think you right. could have seen more of a green energy initiative coming from steam-powered engines and things like that back in the day. But I think it was, in my personal opinion, I think it was two horses out of the gate. Whatever horse gets to the line first is going to get the push. And I right. think there was more money at the time in oil, obviously. Those oil people probably had a certain amount of influence in that. And because their horse got to the gate first, I think then that uh, sort of is what set the, the tone that, okay, vehicles, if they're going to be taken seriously, it has to be a gasoline or a diesel-powered uh, a vehicle. Because you got to remember, like, steam steam engines and, and there were steamboats. Like, so steam was there. Like, they, they had right. that. And I, I, I typically don't know a lot about steam-powered, you know, engines and development and stuff like that. But, like, I've been to some of the old antique tractor shows, and you see guys that they bring these old steam engines, and they, they roll them off the trailers and such, or they unload them from the trucks, and I mean, they still work, and they, they work like, you know, 100, 120 years, they are still go firing away, just, you know, like a good old thing, so I personally think it was probably whatever one got the ball rolling a little faster at the start was the one that people jumped behind, and once people jumped behind it, momentum just built, and it sort of stuck. If it works, so, don't, uh, don't mess with it type mentality. Okay, so it's fair to say conspiracy debunked. I wouldn't say debunked. I just, I, I think that, I, I always believe that there's money and there, there's channels that the average person probably does, 
is not partisan too. I, I, I just think that I, I don't. I guess what I'm saying is I don't think it's a conspiracy in terms of a conspiracy like say the JFK assassination or something like that. I think it was more so whatever whatever one got to the you know the the, the jump first that that's the one they were going to roll with, and then it got funded up by you know people of power and influence from there. Mofo, I couldn't agree with you more. However, this is where we're going to cut it off this at this very moment. Mofo, thank you once again for joining us on the show. As well as Alan Smithy, thank you very much for your opinions. And folks, please don't forget, you can find all our gear at the teespring.com store. Uh, just simply look in the comments or hashtag go deep the podcast. You can find t-shirts, hoodies, masks, um, anything you find that's of your desire. Folks, always remember, go deep. Go deep. Welcome back to the world famous GDP Go Deep the Podcast, where we share our opinions like we have a clue. You can find us on most forms of social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Thanks again for your support, and remember, always Go Deep.